Welcome to the Inside Edge. The Blue Jackets, no game today. Played in Florida, Sunrise, Florida, against the Panthers last night. Back in action tomorrow night against the Tampa Bay Lightning. I'm Bob McElligot. Jody Shelley is with me. I would say you had the day off yesterday, but you didn't. You didn't do the Blue Jackets game, but you've been working at the NHL Network the last couple of games. So welcome back. Um, we're in Florida, so I know you couldn't wait to get here. Perfect. <laughs> but, uh, you know, last night, Jody, and as you were watching everything in the league, which I want to I want to get your opinion on a lot of stuff later, but uh, as you're watching that game last night, what did you see with the Blue Jackets, who had just come off some pretty nice wins against Calgary and L.A. at the end of the homestand before playing the Panthers last night? You know what? Well, thanks, Bob, for welcoming me back. I will say first, I would take a 40-degree day in New York with sunshine, as it was today when I left, over 80 degrees in, in Florida. I just love the New York area this time of year, especially when the sun is shining. It is buzzing. Did you go there. to Rockefeller Center? I didn't make it up no. there. Um, I'm going to go there next week uh, and, and do that whole thing. But, you know, it, it's just spectacular. The, the energy in the city there's no snow yet, but once it gets that feel, boy, there's, there's, it's hard to beat it in, in uh, at the holiday season. But I did watch that game. Uh, you know, I was uh, the Blue Jackets played so well, and and I felt like they were stingy against the LA Kings, and, and they played a brand of hockey that uh, we're familiar with watching. And I thought down in Sunrise they had a few chances early. Uh, I will credit Sergei Bobrovsky. He's a guy that from afar. Uh, far underachieving, and I think he will be at that salary that he has for a while unless he's perfect. And last night there was uh, some shots from distance early. There were some plays that looked dangerous early for the Blue Jackets, especially the second or that line A, Roslovic line. Uh, you know, Johnny and, and that top line had some chances. And then I felt like Sergey Bobrovsky got his rhythm and they didn't really break them down enough. And, and I think that, you know, maybe they were getting frustrated with offense rather than worried about defense first. And I think that this team is impressive when they all buy into the defensive side of the game first. I think they have to play that way and they know it. But when they, you know, the offensive players go out early and don't get their chance, don't have those real good chances go in or a couple of those moments happen – then they start pressing when they get from behind. And, it, you know, it's human nature, but I think a confident team uh, just kind of wades through that. You know, some teams, they get challenged early in the game, they get down, but they understand, hey, we've got this. We know how to play on the right side of the puck. Uh, our goaltender is going to make the save, and we're just going to keep with our process, where with the Blue Jackets, I felt like they got away from the process too early, which is that uh, – defend in front of uh, the goaltender, clear pucks quickly and get out of their zone quickly and then limit the turnovers. And, you know, that Florida team to me, they were coming in. They were they were not happy with how they things went the past few games. Uh, Barkov was out with pneumonia. He's back for a few games now. He got his rhythm. So it was a game where in an environment where they had to go in and, and get something good early and then try to find their defensive game. And it just didn't seem like it happened at all. We've talked a lot in the last three games about Patrick Laine going on to a different line than Johnny Gaudreau, uh, playing with Jack Roslovic and Igor Chinikov. And really, with the exception of last night, those two previous games, Calgary and L.A., uh, they worked terrific together. And last night they were fine. They just didn't get the results uh, that they had in the previous two games. Now, the the Boone Jenner-Johnny Gaudreau line, they put Gus Nyquist on there. And, and it's funny because what everybody wants to say, and we're guilty of this, we do it all the time, well, Patrick's off the top line, and now he's on the second line. But you could make the argument that 
that line has been playing like the top line uh, going into that game last night anyway, and now it's it's Johnny's line that is uh, finding it a little bit more challenged to score. And I'm not saying that Patrick has to go back up there by any means, but it's kind of funny how the balance has shifted just a little bit. But as that has shifted, it's also created more of a balance throughout the lineup at the same time. Yeah, and if you're on the road, especially, and you have two lines that are dynamic, uh, you know, the the lines are written on the board, four lines, 60 in the starting goaltender. Florida had that on their board last night. Uh, they would have went through the lines and probably just the top two lines for sure and, and said, this you, you defensemen will be out against these guys. This is how you have to play them. These are their tendencies, and, and – they're not surprising anybody after their last two games. They've had, a, you know, they're the talk of the Blue Jackets. Patrick Laine and, and Jack Rosovic picking up all the points the previous game. So, you know, there's there's a strategy to that. And this isn't basketball. This isn't starting five. You know, oh, he's not in the starting five. Patrick Laine is a top six forward in this team. And you look at Edmonton and, and with Drysaddle McDavid, they don't play together all the time. It, they can put them together in certain situations, and, you know, it, it's something good to go to, but it's not a top line and a second line. Those two guys are so great and so wonderful on the power play together. And I just look at uh, the, the way that Line and Roslovic had those two games. Um, you know, they're players that, well, Patrick, we've been waiting for him to get healthy most of the year, and it looks like he's back. And I love him carrying the puck. You know, I think that him and Johnny together, they both want the puck. Uh, and I, I think that when you're a player with the puck and you have someone who wants the puck on your same line, there's a percentage of you that is so aware that he's there and might want it now that sometimes you defer to that rather than your natural ability. And I think Patrick, with his natural ability, is not worried about Roslovic or anyone else that, that's out there with him. He's just you know, carrying that puck a little more. He did it early in the game, and then it seemed like uh, we didn't notice that as much, and, and I would credit Florida with that. But that's what he's got to deal with, you know, and, and it's good to have those two lines separate um, for, for a number of reasons, but balance in the lineup is one thing that they haven't had, and when you just have one line that you're depending on all the time and they aren't going and the other one is, like the LA Kings game, uh, that's when you can get some victories. So that that's why we hear it all the time. Hockey's the ultimate team sport, and it's some things you do – uh, you could do the littlest thing in a game. You look at uh, Olivier in that uh, in a couple games and sequences where that that line did some great things defensively late in the game. Boone Jenner, we talk about it all the time, and you get the results. And you're sitting there, and and you know Gavrikov got the kepi the other night uh, after a big night by a lot of people, but he's the one who was the hardest to play against in the defensive zone, and his teammates appreciated that. So there's a lot that goes into a game and a win and a team. And these dynamics, now they're figuring out, you know, it, it should be better for this team. And it looks like in this small sample size that it is. And what I do like, too, is the third line that has yet to really bust out mm. uh, with Cole Sillinger playing with Kent Johnson and Kirill Marchenko. A little glimpse there in the Kings game where Johnson gets the puck and just blindly finds Marchenko right in the slot and he gets his first NHL goal. Uh, look, I mean, all – Cole Sillinger struggled this year when it's come to getting his points. Marchenko just got here from Cleveland. They're being so patient with Kent Johnson, trying to find the the perfect spot to put him in, and because they want him to grow at the same time that he's playing. I get all of that, but boy, if those guys could find anything, and now you've got those other two lines doing exactly what you just talked about. Now you're re- because your fourth line. They're always going to do what they do. We've talked about that all year. Consistency, uh, they might get you a little bit of scoring. They're going to play well defensively in the defensive zone, all that stuff. But if, if that third line could start to click a little bit, now you'd you'd really be in a good spot. You know, and I look at that could be the problem uh, uh, with all 12 forwards because you know what you're getting out of the fourth line, and those top two lines seem to be okay. But, 
you know, you still have three ripe and young players trying to find their way in the National Hockey League, and especially on the road, if John Cooper tomorrow night, I mean, you watch what he does against that line, and you can say whatever you want. They're great kids, they're great players, you know, but they've just started their National Hockey League career, and if, you can, if you're out there against uh, Kucherov and Point and Stamkos and these players that they're, they're coming after you, uh, it's a different ball game, and it can be overwhelming at times. So, you know, with the injuries right now, that's what you're. That's what you you have here is a call up in Marchenko, a guy in Johnson who uh, couldn't make the opening light night roster, but has a lot of promise. And you have Cole Sillinger, who's got a year under his belt and understands that. And, and you look at his game, but he also needs some players there that can help him get his game going. And right now, he doesn't know how Kent Johnson really plays. He's played with. Uh, Chinikov for most of his NHL career, uh, and and now Chinikov's moved up. So maybe they can spread those guys out a little bit and get a little more veteran presence down there for, for Cole. Th- those are things that have to happen. I, and a great example is the decor. You know, I think those deep pairs seem to be coming together a little bit. You know, you got you got guys that understand like. Um, Good Branson is a, is a the the leading veteran in game played games played and I think he likes Bernie you know I think there's a quietness to Bernie's game that gets them out of trouble and that that's a bright spot on on that pair and when you have Gavrikov with Bjork that's uh that's worked out really well so because Gavrikov is a guy that needs someone who's predictable with him and I think that uh, having Bjork there who just kind of goes about and does what he does as a right hand shot defenseman. You see them working together as a pair now. And, that you know, they probably played together for, what, 10 games maybe? And, you know, that's a big deal, and it takes time for those guys to get into those spots. So when I, when I look at those examples on the back end, those guys up front need some consistent uh, line mates, and, and, and the ones that are together on that third line are very young. And since you bring that up, you mentioned two of the three defensive pairings. And I'm thinking about this as you were just talking about that third line where they're trying to kind of come together. I think you could say the same thing about Andrew Peake and Jake Christensen. Both good players, you know, both, you know, trying to put their their best tools into play every night. But if you were to say to me, okay, of the three pair, you know, which one is kind of the, uh, there's more work to be done there. I would think it's that one. I agree. And if you look at Andrew Peake last year, his role was completely defined with Zach Wierenski. You know, he knew what Zach was doing, and he was there as a player with a very short focus, very simple, because Zach drove the shift every time he's on the ice, and he can be easy to read off, but also easy to work with. And you have uh, Christensen or Bayreuther, you know, they're switching uh, those guys in and out. And, and you know, he, is he an offensive guy? What's he going to do in the corner? He's, he want, his, his approach to the, each game is, I want to be able to do well tonight so I can play the next game. And that mentality is not the mentality of Zach Wierenski where, you know, uh, mistakes aren't amplified or situations aren't pressure-like or there's a way to get out of situations which helped Andrew Peake. And I think Seth Jones did that for uh, Zach Wierenski and, and Zach did that for Seth. And I think... Now, with young D back there and, and maybe peak pressing too much, yeah, that, that can be one that it's a bit of a floating position back there in that third pair. Yeah, and I, I like how you say that, him pressing too much, because I'm watching him play that game last night. And, again, he has some extra juice because he's back at home and he's playing in front of his family and his friends and all of that. And he's playing against the team that he grew up watching in that building. And he was everywhere last night. I, and he was blocking shots and he was taking shots. But when I say he was everywhere, it was – Kind of what you were saying. At points, it wasn't a controlled everywhere. 
Yeah, he threw a big hit. It was noticeable that he was juiced up. Yep. But, right, that, that's an example of trying to do too much. And I think once you get behind and you can be a factor, now you're the main guy in the pair, you know, you feel like you can you want to do everything. It's you're, you're almost in between your roles. And that's where Gavrikov, again, I go back to him, he knows his role to a T. He knows his boundaries. He knows his limits. But he knows where he can jump and, and try things that are different. And, you know, all these guys come in with so much skill. And, and sometimes they use the skill or, or – their uh, that ability at the wrong time and the situation of the game and sometimes you know you don't know what's going to happen every shift but when you are on a set pair as a defenseman or if, or if I'm a winger on a line and I know what my role is and I know you're going to get the puck deep because we don't we don't even we've talked about it once and this is what worked then you have that kind of memory bank and you just build and they call it chemistry but it's just that workability with each other that it's a it's a seamless read because in the NHL and you look at last night with some of those guys, it's quick when you think you're going up ice and the next thing you're coming back. And that's what's so hard for young defensemen is, you know, you think you can take a breath, but the next thing you got to start going backwards and, you know, you got to defend two guys because there was a breakdown one second ago. So, you know, it's a, that there's a few spots like that in the lineup, but, but there are some encouraging pieces and, and hopefully that line, a Rosovic line and the top line are going tomorrow night. Yeah, you think you have a lot of time until you realize it's Alexander Barkov that just <laughs> yeah. got the puck on a turnover, right? Yeah, and he's got such a long reach and such a great <laughs> stride. It's it's even it's even more to handle because he can pull the puck really across the rink in in one breath. Do you like uh, I, the guy's putting up points? But we, Jeff Rimmer and I were talking during the game last night about you know losing Huberdo and uh, uh, Weger to get. Kachuk. I mean, Kachuk's putting up his points. Yeah. Like personally, when I when I look at it, I like Kachuk more than I do Huberto. And I knew he had a, a, a great season there last year. But I like the guy's got a little bit of bite on that line. And you know, they're looking ahead to the playoffs. Bill Zito, who's the GM there now, he's looking to when I get into a series against Tampa like last year and they get swept. When I get into that kind of a series, I want a guy that's got a little bit more bite. Do you like? that what they did with that I think it'll play out the way they want to I I, I do uh, and I agree with you it's not about anything that's happened right now except beating Tampa in the playoffs that's the that's their that's their whole pit in their gut all off season, all training camp and this first third of the season is you know it'll work and I I there's probably a little bit of heartbreak with Barkoff and Huberto because those guys were you know they grew up in the system together and and Huberto is so uh you know he he is a He's not a perimeter player, but he's a guy who's got a certain skill set where he passes the puck first. And Barkov knew that it was coming, and it was coming in a situation where no one knew it was going to get there. Um, great. I mean, it, it's a it's a brave trade. It's a bold trade to do, but it changes the makeup of the team. And, but they're still missing a couple of those pieces too. Uh, you know, they're missing uh, some – I mean, Gudis is still out. He plays that physical brand of hockey, which they'll have in the – in the playoffs, which will take a little bit off of Kachuk. I thought Kachuk did his job last night, and, and you know, he's a playoff performer. Right? And, and I think that I, I like the trade. I, it's not working in Calgary so much, but when you look at Huberto in Calgary, he like he's not on the half wall passing the puck. They got him down in front of the net, which is strange for a guy who's always been that playmaker and and not really in that position yet. So they'll work that out. But but for for Bill Zito to do what he did, I like it because who would not want Kachuk on their team? Either one of the Chuck Kachuks, Matthew or Brady, uh, right now because they're kind of bringing back some of that old school to the league. There's some leadership and. You know, everyone knows they're on the ice, especially the goaltenders when you're playing against them, and 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 that's hard to find. The other guy they're missing is Hornquist, and and he's one of those guys too that'll be back and 
bothersome in front of the net. Yeah, and now he's at this point in his career, he's a fourth line guy, but he's going to be a pain in your rear end every time he's out there on the fourth line for Calgary. And we just saw him the other night. And th- those two guys that were traded, they were like non factors in that game at Nationwide Arena. A Uyghur was he was he was lost. He made a lot of mistakes. Yeah, well, that's true. That's yeah. I was I was surprised. <laughs> but for Calgary, that's just a. That's a, a face-saving trade. Right. I mean, they'd already lost Gaudreau. Now Kachuk wants out. Now they've got to do something. I mean, it's the only way that you pull that trigger. It's almost like, the, to me, it's almost like the Dubois-Line-A-Roslovic yes. trade, right? Somebody's going to leave. I know I'm going to lose this guy. How am I going to do it in a way where I, I can still sell it that we got better? It's actually incredible that Calgary pulled that off with Kachuk being on an expiring contract, being able to sign him again down here in Florida for Bill Zito to lock that up as a free agent. Uh, and then to have a guy like that, Huberto, over 100 points in, in the league, uh, and Weger, who's a steady top four defenseman. Uh, yeah, that, that, I mean, pretty impressive how they did it. And, and when you look at those types of trades, you don't see it. You, you say face-saving, but I think, I mean, if they don't bring those guys in, that team is completely opposite of what they were last year with that hot, dynamic top line. So uh, really, really uh, credit to Trey Living for, for, for getting that done. Yeah, that was uh, that was the blockbuster last summer for sure. Coming up next, we're going to talk a little special teams. Uh, Pascal Vincent runs the power play for the Blue Jackets. It's a power play that uh, started the season terribly. And in the last couple of weeks, it has come to life. We'll find out why as the Inside Edge continues right after this on 97.1 The Fan. Welcome back to the Inside Edge here on 97.1 The Fan. Hey, as you're getting your shopping done, I'll tell you something that you could really get for the Blue Jackets fan in your life. It is the Blue Jackets Holiday Pack. It starts at $99, and it includes two tickets to two games of your choice and a limited edition Homage Blue Jackets long sleeve t-shirt. To find out more, just go to bluejackets.com slash holiday. Are you done with your shopping yet? No, uh, I, th- I think so. I don't know. No, I'm never done. <laughs> what am I saying? Never done. There'll be, there'll be stuff to do and, and get done. And you thought you were going to have time next week before Christmas, and now you don't. <sighs> no, because, I got some time, a little because time. Because initially... You were not doing the game on the 23rd in Chicago. That's right. That's right. Chicago's it, a good spot to get yeah. it done. They, 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 yeah, that's a good place to shop, yeah. right? Yeah, I'll get it done there. Make sure you keep all your meal money for that yeah, shopping right. in that's Chicago. Right. No doubt about it. Special teams. We'll hear from Pascal Vincent here in uh, just a moment. I had a chance to catch up with him and talk about it. Um, let me just ask you. Look, it started, They started terribly. They went 0 for 26 at the beginning of the year on the power play. You, you look at the league rankings. They're still dead last in the league, but... Once you break it down, and we were just in Pittsburgh last week, and Mike Sullivan pointed out right before that game uh, against the Penguins, he said, hey, don't look at their power play numbers and think their power play is not any good because they've been red hot. And I think in November they were the best power play in the league as a team. And, um, you know, confidence is a big part of it, right? Oh, yeah, confidence. Uh, you, you know, you got new players out there. You've got players that are in and out of the situations uh, yeah, confidence is is everything on a power play. Zone entry. I mean, you see now they're 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 getting in the zone. They're winning faceoffs in those moments to set the power play up, and they've got Johnny and and Patrick Line switching around. So it looks like, you know, it looks like they're getting a little bit of rhythm, or they were in November. We'll see what happens, uh, you know, on, on this road trip. But it, you know, that's the thing about special t- special teams. I mean, they're such a big focus because 
especially the power play, because you're putting your best players on the ice in a major situation. Usually, you know, you get that power play goal, you got your back in the game, or you get that extra goal that puts you over the hump. And um, when they don't succeed and they come back, they can get frustrated quick. So, and that's like that's confidence, all right. You either have it and it's uh, you can't explain it, or uh, you've lost it and you don't know where to find it. <laughs> so let's get a little bit more specific. I caught up with uh, Pascal Vincent again. He is the architect of this power play. You know what the architect means. He draws it up, but he doesn't go out there and execute. The players have to execute. And here's what he thinks about what's going on. From the guy that runs the power play, what's been the biggest difference in the execution here over the course of the last three or four weeks as opposed to the beginning of the year? Well, a few things here. Um, and it'd be... Uh it wouldn't be fair to the players if I said it was one or two things. Um, it, it's a matter of timing. Um, new guys, I know they have a lot of skills and people expect uh, results right away. And we want result right away, results right away. But um, a few things, uh, Johnny getting used to play on the, uh, on the side that he's never played before um, in Calgary. He was on the left side in the offensive zone. Now we're asking him to be on the, on the right side, which changes the dynamic of the power play. Uh, we had a guy like Jake Voracek in that position in the past. Uh, early in the season, Jake was asked to be net front, a job that he's never done before. So it was a bunch of reasons why uh, we did not connect. We, we, we were creating okay, um, but in November, I think we were the third best power play in the NHL, and we just got to move the puck a little bit faster. Now, power plays... What I've seen, my experience over uh, the last uh, 12, 15 years um, as, as a head coach or a power play guy, uh, when it clicks, it clicks, and when it doesn't, it doesn't. And, and you want to you wanna, you wanna make sure that you don't stay in a bad uh, place very, very long. Um, but in November, we started to click because we started to uh, um, get used to our new positions and, and play a little bit faster. Um, and then, then Patty came back uh, from his uh, injury, and now it was uh, to to get back to uh, uh, the drawing board and, and making sure that we use everyone properly. Um, most of the time, um, it's not the five guys or the unit that will create an issue on the power play. It's going to be just one guy that is out of position or out of sync. Um, and recently, like the last game, um, I saw uh, Jack Roslevic uh, in the middle and finding the right spots for him to, to be able to, uh, to attack and shoot the puck. So uh, I think right now we're creating some chemistry. Uh, we're a little bit faster. Um, and and sometimes, the style, sometimes the style of the PK is a, a better fit for a kind of power play that you have or not. So it's, uh, there's different reasons for it. I'm just glad that we, uh, our power play helped the team win the game last game. One thing you didn't talk about is from the beginning of the year till now, you've lost both of your point men on the power play. In fact, you have Marcus Bjork, who's an NHL rookie, uh, running that top unit for you right now. But how have you liked the way that he has distributed the puck and has managed that power play? Well, I, I like it. Um, I, obviously, you don't replace Zach Wierenski uh, on the blue line. He's an elite player, um, but we have to find ways. So uh, if I, I'm a, a little bit more technical on that part, um, Bjork is a right-hand shot, and um, uh, Patty Liney uh, is a right-hand shot on the left side, uh, trying to shoot the puck as a one-timer uh, position. 
Um, but when, when the puck goes from Johnny um, Godreau to a right-hand shot, the way he receives the puck and the way he moves the puck across to Patrick Liney, the velocity of that pass and the spin of the puck will influence the shot of Patrick Liney. If it's a lefty, it's a different spin. So it helps Patty to have a, a right-hand shot at the blue line. Um, um, Obviously, uh, Zach Warrenski can make those plays, but it's a different spin on the puck, so it, it, it does have an effect on, on the release of Patrick Kleine. So that aspect uh, I really like. It's just a matter of connecting between those two and uh, finding the right um, speed of the puck and velocity of that pass so Patty can shoot that puck. But it's, um, so far, it's been, uh, it's been a good addition. And, and we see Gavrikov on the second unit, and, and uh, he's, been, he's been pretty good when he, he, um, he was asked to be there. And, and when they have, obviously, they have a little bit less time on, on the power play because it's our second unit. But when, when he's there, he's doing a good job. I wanted to ask you about that second unit because you still have some good weapons that you throw out there. Gus is on the second unit there. But with Kent Johnson there and now Kirill Marchenko added to that, how much do you like the potential pop that you have in that power play. I really like it. Uh, Gus is uh, really, really good at, on the on the goal line. He's not as good as uh, Boone net front, but on the goal line, he's really good at making plays. Um, KJ, Kent Johnson uh, can, can go low, can go high, um, can feed the middle. His vision is really good. We're trying to um, groom Marchenko as a, as a middle man. Uh, we call it a bumper. Um, so he can release, release the puck from there. I think he can be very dangerous there, um, but that's a new position for him. And then you have Chinnikov on the other side that goes up and down and attacks downhill with, with his biggest weapon, with it, which is his shot. Um, so I think that can be a very dangerous unit. And it's a bunch of young guys with, obviously, Gus, more of a, of a veteran player, but that could be a very dangerous unit as well. Last thing I want to ask you is, you have seen Jack Roslovic since he came into this league because he was in Winnipeg and he was with the Manitoba Moose and the Winnipeg yeah. Jets. You were there. Now you're here with him. Coming off a great game against the Los Angeles Kings with four points the other day. But uh, for Jack, what are you seeing in him now? Is, is your watching him grow up? What kind of a player do you see? Well, Jack is, a, is a, an offensive player. Um, he's a smart player, in my opinion. Uh, his ability to change direction is off the chart, one of the best in the league. Um, he's a student of the game. Um, and, and it's true for Jack and any of the, that kind of player, it's all, all about confidence. And, um, and, and I feel right now him and Patrick Liney being on the same line, uh, it gave Jack a boost and uh, we can see it in this game. He's, he's moving, uh, he's attacking, uh, he's defending. Um, there's more intensity, <clears throat> but the intensity is coming from uh, the confidence. But the one guy on that line that we don't talk about very much is uh, Chinnikov. And if you look at him and how he plays, he's a, a really, uh, he's extremely re re reliable. Um, his, his defensive game, I know he's an offensive player, but he still you know, has to play without the puck, and his defensive game is really good. Like his last game, we scored a, a goal, that two-on-one, uh, Jack to uh, Patrick Kleine, one-timer. Uh, but just before that, um, Chinnikov, his ability to come back in the D zone and to help and track, gave us a chance to make that transition. If he doesn't do that, we don't score that goal. So um, that could be a good line, those three together. And, and obviously, your center has to be uh, 
um, a leader on that line, and Jack has been that kind of guy the last few games. Yeah, it has been fun to watch, no doubt. Pascal, thank you very much. Good luck tonight. Okay, thank you. Yeah, that was Pascal Vincent, uh, Blue Jackets assistant coach, and the architect of the power play. I talked to him before the game against the Florida Panthers yesterday, and some really interesting things there. Now, for you as a player and being in the room and being in the meetings and all that stuff, you know a lot of that stuff, but it, it was very interesting to hear the the breakdown into – kind of take it apart and analyze it, right-handed shot, left-handed shot. And obviously, <laughs> he's not sitting around for 35 seconds figuring out the power play. There's a lot of stuff going into this. You know what? It's uh, I, I did sit in power play meetings just to see what they were talking about. I can't remember much, but, uh, you know, I wasn't on the power play, and if I ever was. Did uh, they ever look at you like you walked into the wrong class? They like, were like, hey, uh, Shelly, just stand in front of the net. <laughs> All right. <laughs> But, yeah, they did. What are you doing in here, buddy? Get out. Um, but, no, I, I, it's amazing when you talk to some power play people. I've talked to a few around the league, and, and there's some great power play minds that have retired, like Adam Oates, who's got a lot of these players as uh, he's their advisor. So what he does is he'll break down clips of their game and to detail, like, you should be moving two more feet to your left or you should be re- receiving this pass in this way. Uh, and one thing is on the, on the power play, at the top, if you have a right-handed shot on the left side, which which the Jackets do, and that's your one-timer, then you, you should have a left-handed shot at the top that feeds them those that can feed them the one-timers because it goes back and forth. Uh, it's a whole uh, stick situation thing, and, and it makes sense if you want the ideal power play, and Washington has it. Uh, with Oshie, Ovechkin, Carlson, Backstrom. Uh, they've got all the right shots there for, to set up for for Ovechkin, Mr. 800, by the way. So, yeah, it, it's amazing to think of the detail. Now, the one thing he did say right off the top was he, they've got Johnny Gaudreau in a position that he's never played before. And that, to me, immediately, I, 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 I don't understand that. And that's just my opinion. I know Pascal's, they have their reasons. They have way more reasons than I have. But if Johnny Goodrow, the left-handed shot, wants to play on the left side, and now you split up them off the top line, do they have to be on the same power play unit? That I mean, and I'm sure they've talked about it at nauseum about you know having Patrick on a different. Maybe it works on a different. Put them out there with their lines. You know what I mean? We've seen that done before, where uh, you can get that player in the comfortable position where he knows how to play and he's played a lot. Uh, on the left side, but that doesn't happen as much as you would think, and that that surprises me. That if I was a coach, I would sit him down and be like, "Where do you want to play? You know, who do you want to play with? What's your ideal guy when you're when you're set up in this position?" But that's why I'm not a coach. That's why I'm a broadcaster. So, you know, it's very simple for me to say that. But there's more reasons why, and it's obvious that line A is a weapon when and he's a threat on that side, and he opens up other parts of that uh, defensive structure that you're going against. Just because he's there, just like Ovechkin, not just like, but a lot like Ovechkin and Stamkos where, you know, if you've got Johnny on the other side as a threat, he's not a real shooting threat all the time, but he does bring that shot, not like Patrick. Um, He's going to get a little more space out there at times because they're going to be favoring or trying to close that lane in the middle. Also, the top defenseman there at the top, which would be Wierenski, but now is Bjork. He's going to have a little more time to move that puck over to Patrick. So, although it shrinks it a little bit, and so there's those reasons why that's happening. So, just for those of you that are reacting to that, just I wanted to say I kind of reacted the same way, but there's more reasons to that. You would ask them, "Who do you want to play with?" and let them do it, and potentially a week later you'd come back and say, "You're not going to play with that guy. You're going to play no. with this guy." <laughs> I'd say, "What's wrong? What happened? <laughs> well, what do you need?" 
I, I guess you, once you start giving, you don't stop. Right? I gave you three games. Right. That's it. No. We're done. We're done with this. Hey, um, Jody mentioned Alex Ovechkin, Mr. 800. We're going to talk about that and other things around the National Hockey League as the Inside Edge continues right after this on 97.1 The Fan. Blue Jackets have one more game at Nationwide Arena prior to the Christmas holiday, and it is going to be on Monday. The Dallas Stars are going to be in town. The game gets underway at 7 o'clock. You can get tickets for that game by going to bluejackets.com slash tickets. I can't believe there's only one more home game before Christmas, and a lot of road games, and that's going to be the case. Uh, I've already played almost half the home schedule, right? I think so. We lost one though in Colorado or in uh, Finland when we played Colorado. Yeah. That's uh, that was not a home game in any sense. That was a long way from home in Nationwide Arena. Wore the blue jersey. That's yeah, that's the only that thing that made a, it a home. There were some good Blue Jackets fans there. Let's yes, not discredit that. But we were in another country for a home game, <laughs> and it's hard to think about Christmas being what nine days away when or ten days away, whatever. It, maybe it's eleven. I don't know when we're sitting in Florida. Yeah, it's very hard. It is. Uh, yeah, it's eleven days away. Yeah, it's hard. To, that schedule, you know, it's 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 intense. It's fast, and um, you know that that week of being over in Finland kind of shrunk it a little bit for the Blue Jackets, and and they're paying the price here. How about this stretch coming up, Bob? You've got Tampa, who's a team that's just completely found their game, uh, just rolling right along. Then you go to Boston, the top team in the National Hockey League. I think they've lost once in regulation at home. And then you've got Dallas waiting for you at home. So, and Dallas is on a road trip. I'm not sure if they go home in between now and being in the New York area. I would say not. They just played the rain. They just, I think they've got all the teams now. They played New Jersey last night, second of a back to back. They'll probably play the Rangers. Um, what day is it? Wednesday. Probably play them tomorrow. And then they'll probably come to Columbus after another game on the weekend. So, yeah, they're on a road trip, and, and they're on a groove, too. Robertson is, I mean, he, he's a guy who didn't have a contract in camp, waited, he came back, and he's just been on a tear. He's top five in goal scoring in the National Hockey League. Yeah, they're in Washington tomorrow. Then they go to Carolina oh, they don't for a do game on Saturday. Oh. And then they're in Columbus to wrap up their road trip on Monday. So, so they'll be uh, sitting there. They will, yes, they will be sitting there and waiting. All right, Alex Ovechkin, and we were just talking a little bit ago about we'll be in Chicago the game right before Christmas. Ovechkin was in Chicago last night playing against the Blackhawks, and what a game he had. Hat trick, and now he's sitting at 800 goals. You know, his first goal was scored against the Blue Jackets. I only know that because Luke Richardson brought it up before the game last night, and he, I'm not sure if he was on the ice, but he's, he remembered, you know, this kid, the hype of the kid, and, uh, you know, the here he is, and what's he like? Well, he scores right away, and he's got the passion with that goal and the, the three he had last night. And if you look at the three goals he's had last night, not the big one-time shot, all like battling and around the crew, not battling, but being in the right spot and, and finding a bouncing puck. So that's incredible. 800 goals. I mean, <laughs> and now what does he need? 90, 90, 96 to tie Wayne Gretzky? Or, you know, I mean, that's a lot of goals. He's got a lot more to get. But at this rate and what he's done, it's uh, tremendous for the National Hockey League and and – he is an absolute superstar. Him and Crosby came in together, and they have not disappointed. What two completely different players, too. Uh, but Alexander Ovechkin, you have to give him credit for what he's done. Uh, Gordy Howe, Wayne Gretzky, and Alexander Ovechkin, top three goal, uh, goal scorers to ever play in this wonderful league. And, and uh, it's, it's amazing because you know he's on the ice. You know... I've been in the locker room when you're going over the game plan and you're looking at the power play and you sit there and you say, well, yeah, just, you know, I've seen teams just shadow them 
And what does he do? He goes and stands at the back post, and now you've got pretty much a, a four-on-three out high, which <laughs> really messes things up a little bit. So, you know, there, there's no real way to, to stop him. You try to contain him, but uh, he just keeps doing it. And I know there's been a lot of talk. He's had four, his last four goals before the last three were empty netters. He's got, I think, 51, and Gretzky had 54 uh, out of their goal total, and and uh, doesn't matter. It's goals, and it's not it's not um, it's not how it's how many. And <laughs> they, right. you ask any goal scorer that I know you, you we all have the image of the highlight goal, but uh, just take them. And you, as you mentioned, he still needs ninety four to tie. So and look, and this guy can get forty in a year. But if you're talking, you're talking three more years of thirty goals each year. I mean, because, look, he's it's a, a great lot player. of work. I know, and he's getting older. It, it doesn't look like it the way he plays, right? But, I mean, you're talking about three years at 30-plus goals a year just to get tied with Wayne Gretzky. I don't see how it gets done, but, uh, you know, it's uh, – that's uh, yeah, it's, uh, he's had over 50 goals. He's had, he's had phenomenal seasons. He's a guy that puts the puck in the net. He's won a Stanley Cup. Uh, what can you say? I mean, if he hadn't won the Stanley Cup, you know, there'd still be that. Yeah. We would have that conversation. But, no, he's he's raised uh, the Stanley Cup and been a championship and uh, been a champion there. He had to change his game there for that, too, when when they did do that in Washington and be a little more reliable. Because, remember, he used to be completely offense. He was a, almost a, a big liability, uh, way too much of a liability defensively when he was out there. But he changed and won the Cup. So he understands that, too. So, yeah, yeah. It's a lot of work, but right now you can't say he can't do it. No, you can't. And he, to his credit, I think that's the thing that when he's done, maybe one of the one thing that's going to stick with me is what you talked about. He changed his game because I thought this guy's never going to win a Stanley Cup because he won't. He's too stubborn. He just wants to score goals. And Barry Trotz sold him on it, and he got him to play differently. And once Alex bought into that, I mean, that's that's why he won't have to go with that blemish he won't be Dan Marino who never won a Super Bowl right yeah he will have at least that one Stanley Cup yeah look at guys like Brett Hall too goal scorers in the National Hockey League and you know there, there's two sides of the puck and and you're right that that's that that's the one not if you can find a knock on a superstar it's probably the championships they never won and uh, for him that's not the case probably wants another one I'm not sure if Washington can can get things together but they look like they're finding their game yeah and for Crosby that was you know, the, he was in a danger zone there. They win the one cup, and then they still have the core, and it's going on and on, and then people are saying, well, you know, this guy should be a multiple cup winner, and then all of a sudden, bang, bang, back to back. Now he's got three. Nobody will ever That's bring that incredible. up. That's incredible. Yeah, but here's what. I think he wants another one, and here's my theory. Now, he's having a, almost a career year. I mean, he's on pace for well over 100 points, and he's a guy that watched the Stanley Cup come back to Cole Harbor, Nova Scotia last year. That's the only the only reason why it's ever been to Cole Harbor three times was because of Sidney Crosby. It went back there for a fourth. He was at Nathan McKinnon's Stanley Cup party and enjoyed it. But I'm sure when he went home after that or woke up the next day, uh, there was some kind of little glow in his belly. You know what I mean? Like he's that competitive. And and who knows? I, I'm I'm totally just this is totally my opinion. But knowing how competitive he is. Uh, knowing how much of a how hard he is on himself and and the pedigree of the the veteran guys he's got around there like Latang and and the culture they have in Pittsburgh, uh, that might have pushed him. I mean, and you, as you get older in the league too, you never know what inspires you. But not that he needs to be inspired. 
that could have got the juices flowing uh, in July for Sidney Crosby to say, hey, I'd like to bring it back to Cole Harbor. The year they lost to the Red Wings. That's right. Before remember they that came com- back. Remember that commercial? The commercial. That's exactly oh. it. He's in that that NHL commercial. It's a picture. It's a picture of the Penguins bench after they lose, and then Sid comes to life in this commercial, and he says, "I'm never going to be in this picture again." And then they go on the next year, and they the same series, and they win the series. So that's what I was thinking of when you said that. So that wouldn't shock me because guys, there are just some athletes that that that's it, right? That that competitive spirit drives you if you're 18 or if you're 48. doesn't matter. And when you're at the best and you stay at the best and the top of the game, it's not by accident. It's by absolute work ethic and being inspired. And, and to me, um, you know, you watch some of his points that he's got. He's got the most five-on-five points in the National Hockey League. He's not just going out there getting cookies. He is working and driving plays and forechecks and stealing pucks and getting in position. And, um, it, it's The top of the league is so fun to watch. You look at Connor McDavid and what he did last night, Leon Dreisaitl playing against Nashville. The, Dreisaitl has 30 points in, in – uh, he's got 30 points in 10 games against Nashville. <laughs> It's ridiculous. That's crazy. Three points a game. It's funny how that happens, too, where some guys just, they feast on teams. And McDavid's right up there, but he's second in that uh, when the Oilers play. Yeah, and I don't know, maybe it's, I don't know what happens to those guys when they get to to Nashville, but it's all points and and good things. It usually goes the other way when you go to Nashville. (laughs) I I don't know. They must must just thrive on it. All right, we're going to come back and give you a a quick preview of tomorrow's game between the Blue Jackets and the Lightning as we wrap up the inside edge on 97.1 The Fan. Blue Jackets back on the ice tomorrow in Tampa taking on the Lightning. One of two trips to Tampa for the Blue Jackets this year. Jody, they're coming off that 4-0 shutout to the Florida Panthers last night. And... uh, you're looking to regroup, and you talked about this earlier, the schedule. You're looking to regroup against a team that has been in the Stanley Cup final three straight years and has won two of those three times. Yeah, it doesn't get any easier. It, that, that's the bad news, right? And for the Blue Jackets, they've got to worry about themselves. I mean, we're going to hear that. Are we going to see Tarasov tomorrow night? I mean, what's the situation in net? Um, you know, you, you go in the, to every game with a game plan for your team, but I, you got to pay attention to these guys. Kucherov is... We talked about Crosby. We talked about Ovechkin. Kucherov is one of those most dynamic players in the National Hockey League. He is so good to watch, and he does all the little things well. Braden Point is back and healthy. Steven Stamkos has taken his game again to another level as a leader in this league. Um, yeah, they're, and he, we haven't talked about Hedman. He has, didn't have a great start of the year, but he's a guy that you don't worry about. And they, they have a pretty good goalie, too, and yeah. Andre Vasilevsky. So they'll, they're... Uh, they're built to win, but... Uh, Sorelli was hurt early on. That's right, he's, he's back. back. That's right. Uh, that the trade, that Nick Paul trade they made last year awesome. was uh, a fantastic trade for them. So some of the names have changed, but everything is pretty much still the same with Tampa. And I know they didn't get off to the start that they wanted to at the beginning of the year, but um, Pat Maroon was on the Spit and Chicklets podcast a couple of weeks oh, ago yeah. there, and he was talking about the, the short summers. And, I mean, nobody has had less of an off season than the Tampa Bay Lightning over the course of the last three years. Yes. And, and, you know, I think that's fine. I think they're fine with it. I mean, Steven Stamkos, I heard an interview with him talking about um, raising the cup again 
and how you win it, but you you know you see it go to another team, but you want it back. And it, it gave me chills to hear him not only say it, but how he said it and how it's a real thing. Because I always wondered, like, yeah, you want it, you know, you got it, you know, you, you know, you can relax a little. That's not the case. It's like, it's like they want more of it, and they understand that they're they're still in a big window. Uh, you know, when you have a goaltender like that and a defense number one goalie, number one D, and then your top six is loaded with which would be franchise players in, in any organization. Um, they understand that. And you could tell by the way they go and take care of their business. One thing that really surprises me about them is when you're going that deep in the playoffs every year, you're drafting 27th, 28th, 29th, 30th. I mean, you're not getting the prime guys. I mean, how many times have you seen a team's first-round pick who was 30th overall, and it doesn't pan out to be anything, right? It, but these guys, they maybe it's not their first-round pick, but maybe it's their fourth-round pick. I think Ross Colton was a fourth-rounder. That's right. They find those types of players. They they have the um, luxury, let's use that word, luxury to put them in the American Hockey League and let them grow because they don't have to slot them right into the lineup that they have right now. Well, and they also know that with such a core, they need it's a certain type of player that fits in, and they they can wait for them, or they can pick them up somewhere else. And they you know there's there's waivers, there's trades, uh, there's growth from within. And you mentioned the draft picks, and and you know they they've done a phenomenal job. The Nick Paul pickup, you mentioned it, phenomenal. And he was kind of hovering in, in Ottawa. You know he, they put him up in the lineup, they put him down in the lineup, big body. But he comes here, and it's like the Detroit Red Wings of, of early 2000s where the system and how they play and how they do things, it'll either chew you up and spit you out or it'll make you um, fit into a point in the lineup where your role is so defined that you just become a piece of the machine that's that's cranking. So there's some teams, there's a lot of teams like that, but Tampa's a, a great example of superstars that they've groomed. Kucherov, I mean, this guy, he played in the minors. Two years. Yeah, and he, he, was, a, he was a later pick. Uh, when it comes to the NHL draft, he was a second-round pick late in the second round. Uh, undersized guy, skilled guy. You know, that was kind of the time when when the game was changing a little bit when he first came in the National Hockey League. So, uh, Braden Point, another guy that wasn't a, a top pick, an undersized guy. It was back in 2011 was Kucherov. Point comes in. He's not the top draft pick. I think he was also a later later draft pick. So, you know, you get guys like that. You get them groomed in your system. Uh, they did have a lot of lean years, though, Bob. They had yeah. Steven Stamkos was number one pick overall. Uh, you know, this goes back uh, over a decade now, where you, or well over a decade, where you pick up a guy like that and you bring in Hedman. And, you know, this wasn't built overnight. And he had to learn and change his game, too, which uh, I'll refer back to that interview I saw where he's a different person than he was five years ago. Uh, he's You know, he's, he's grown up. And uh, it's all about winning the Stanley Cup. And, that's a part of the process, and and all organizations that go through it and get, and it's not just the first pick. I mean, you look at the Edmonton Oilers; it's not just the first pick. I know they've got something in Connor McDavid, but they've got a lot of, a lot of learning to do before they win a championship. Yeah, they they got Connor McDavid, and they still their goaltending still a mess, uh, yeah. and, and and it looked like they fixed it this year, but they they still didn't fix it. It's the way it is. Tomorrow, the Blue Jackets and the Lightning seven o'clock game here in Tampa. Our pregame coverage starts at six thirty here on the Fan and the Blue Jackets Radio Network, and also at six thirty over on Valley Sports Ohio, where Jody and Jeff Rimmer will have the game for you. Thanks to Pascal Vincent for uh, talking to us all about the power play on today's show, and thanks to you for being there and listening. We'll talk to you tomorrow from Tampa. Until then, for Jody Shelley, I'm Bob. 
Rob McElligot saying so long here on 97.1 The Fan.